Hello and welcome, Supreme Court buffs. My name is Aaron Larson, and you are listening to Landmark Decisions in the United States Supreme Court. The main focus of this podcast will be to highlight the key decisions that made the Supreme Court and the United States what it is today. To do that, though, we need to take a closer look at the origins of the court. Where did it come from? How did it become established? What was it like in the early days? And what were its original powers? All of these questions can be answered through two main documents. The United States Constitution, which was ratified in 1788, and the Judiciary Act of 1789. We will mainly look at these two documents as the main focus for this episode. It is key to note that the United States Constitution and the Judiciary Act of 1789 made the Supreme Court what it was in the antebellum years of the United States, that is, the years preceding the Civil War. Following the Civil War, both the Constitution and the Judiciary underwent dramatic changes, and we will see this later in the podcast. In fact, the idea of judicial review, which is such a large part of the court's dynamic today, was not a staple in either of these documents, and will be our main focus in the following three episodes, so we can see how the process fully came into being. Essentially, early on, the court had very little power. The American founders were skeptical about giving the courts too much explicit power, This can especially be seen in Article 3 of the Constitution. It can also be seen in the role that Congress played in establishing the lower courts of the federal judiciary. To begin our story, we will start where the Supreme Court was first established, Article 3 of the United States Constitution. To go back a few years, the Articles of Confederation, America's first constitution, provided no permanent national judiciary. Even if it did, the states had major powers that the federal government could not exactly keep in check. It would have been very hard for a national court to obtain much jurisdiction and enforce rulings under the Articles. This first constitution was a very state-centered document. The founders later set out to redesign the Articles and actually completely overhauled them into what I will call the Antebellum Constitution. This early constitution still left a lot to be desired in Article 3. It was a very short and vague establishment of the Supreme Court, and it did not exactly state what the main goals of the judicial branch would be in the coming years. Nonetheless, it establishes the Supreme Court of the United States in Section 1 and gives Congress the full right to ordain and establish the inferior courts. They later do this in 1789, through the Judiciary Act. Section 1 also establishes that justices will receive compensation during times of good behavior while on the court. Article 3, Section 2 of the Constitution mainly focuses on the powers that the Supreme Court may have. The Supreme Court has appellate jurisdiction, or the right to hear appeals from the lower courts in the following areas. All cases in equity and law arising under the Constitution, laws of the United States, and treaties made under their authority. All cases of admiralty and maritime law. These are cases that pertain to the seas. 
controversies with the United States as a major party, controversies with two states or more as major parties, and controversies between a state and citizens of another state. This last example was actually changed by the 11th Amendment, though, in later years. The Supreme Court has original jurisdiction, or the right to hear cases first, in all cases affecting ambassadors, public ministers, and consuls of the federal government. Section 2 also establishes that trials of all crimes except impeachment shall be by jury and trials shall be held in the state of which the crime was committed. This does not explicitly affect the Supreme Court, but it is important in understanding the entire judiciary. Section 3 mainly defines the crime of treason as levying war against the United States, and it establishes that Congress has the sole right to determine the punishment for treason against the nation. As I said, Article 3 of the United States Constitution is short and very vague. It leaves a lot to be figured out by Congress. Ultimately, the House of Representatives and Senate have the ability to mold the early judiciary however they wish. They do this through the Judiciary Act of 1789, which is formally named an Act to Establish the Judicial Courts of the United States. This act was the brainchild of Senator Oliver Ellsworth of Connecticut. It established the structure and jurisdictions of the federal court system in the United States. It also created the position of the Attorney General, whose original job description was to prosecute and conduct all suits in the Supreme Court in which the United States shall be concerned and to give his advice and opinion upon questions of law when required by the President of the United States or when requested by the heads of any of the departments. This can be seen in Section 35 of the Judiciary Act. The Senate passed this act by a vote of 14 yeas to 6 nays on July 17, 1789. The 6 nays were a mix of northern and southern states, and the divide is mostly pro-administration officials who voted yay and anti-administration officials who voted nay. The anti-administration officials were an informal political faction that was jump-started by Madison and Jefferson, and later became the Anti-Federalists. They were very opposed to a strong national government, and it can be seen that they did not want the Supreme Court to be as strong as the Judiciary Act would make it. Since the public was not allowed in the Senate until at least 1795, we get the main arguments on this bill through Senator William McClay's personal journal. McClay believed that the Judiciary Act was essentially a gunpowder plot that would undermine the integrity of the Constitution. This was many of the anti-administration's concerns in the time. In a letter to Edward Pendleton, we also see that James Madison voices his concerns over the Judiciary Act and was becoming skeptical about how it would impact Southern interests with concerns to the Constitution. Despite these concerns, the bill passed the Senate, and a month later, the act also passed the House of Representatives without a roll call vote on September 17, 1789. George Washington later signed this act of Congress into law on September 24, 1789, officially making the Judiciary of the United States. Now what exactly did this Judiciary Act do? 
It established the seat of the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court and added five other associate justices. You may be asking, why were there six and there is now nine? Throughout the years, three more seats were actually added to the court. A vote of at least four would be needed for a quorum or majority in the court at this time. The Supreme Court would have two sessions throughout the year, the first beginning on the first Monday of February, and the second session beginning on the first Monday of August. The Act also divided the United States into 13 district courts, which would have one judge presiding over the entire district. Furthermore, three circuit courts were established. They were the Eastern Circuit, which consisted of New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Connecticut, and New York, the Middle Circuit, which consisted of New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Delaware, Maryland, and Virginia, and the Southern Circuit, which consisted of South Carolina and Georgia. These last two states were so much further from the capital, and the roads were much worse in the South, which attributes to the fact of why there were only two states represented in the Southern Circuit. In these circuits, there would be a district judge present and two Supreme Court justices. This idea of the Supreme Court justices presiding over circuit court cases was known as riding circuit in the day. A vote of two would be needed in the circuit court to obtain a majority. The Judiciary Act further sets out the oaths for judicial clerks and justices and sets the cognizance jurisdiction of each court or basically what they would rule over. The Supreme Court had exclusive jurisdiction over all civil controversies where a state is one of the present parties except suits between states and its citizens, as well as states and citizens of other states. The Supreme Court could also issue writs of mandamus through their work. These were orders from the court that could be enforced. Mandamus in Latin literally means we command, so these act as decisions handed down from the court. Furthermore, all courts could issue writs of scire facius and writs of habeas corpus. Scire facius, from the Latin meaning cause to be known, is a writ founded upon some judicial record, such as a judgment or letters, patent, requiring the defendant to appear in court and show cause as to why the record should not be enforced against him or her. These writs have been suspended in the United States for quite some time, though. Writs of habeas corpus, literally, you shall have the body, is a writ requiring a person under arrest to be brought before a judge or into court in a timely manner especially to secure a person's release under lawful grounds, as shown for their detention. We will see more about habeas corpus as we approach the Civil War. The Judiciary Act also affirmed the right of the Supreme Court to re-examine and reverse decisions that were made in the lower courts. This reinforced the hierarchical system of the judiciary that members of Congress were looking to establish. In the same year as the Judiciary Act, Congress also deliberated on and passed an act to regulate processes in the courts of the United States. This act reaffirms everything in the Judiciary Act and that Supreme Court decisions are the will of the courts and are a declaration or order at the conclusion of a court hearing. Through the United States Constitution, 
officially ratified in 1788, and the Judiciary Act of 1789, the Supreme Court and its inferior courts were born. This laid the groundwork for Supreme Court decisions to be made. It is key to note that the Judiciary Act of 1789 is not the only act that reformed the courts. In fact, Congress would pass another one not too much later in 1801. This Judiciary Act of 1801 was passed by the lame duck Federalist majority in Congress and was used to make radical changes to the federal judiciary. Overall, its main points were to expand federal jurisdiction, eliminate some of the Supreme Court justices' circuit court duties, and it also created 16 new federal circuit court judgeships. We will talk more about this act when going over the Supreme Court case of Marbury v. Madison, as it will make more sense then. It is key, though, to see that the Judiciary Act of 1789 is not the only one, but instead is the original and perhaps most important in establishing much of what we see today in the federal judiciary. Throughout this podcast, we will see how all of these antebellum ideas act and work in the Supreme Court and how landmark decisions are made as the court begins to gain more power throughout time. I sincerely thank you all for listening to me today. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter under the username of at A-L-A-R-S-175 if you wish to leave me comments or questions on today's episode. I also ask that you please like and leave a rating so I can keep improving my work. Further reading from the issues raised in this podcast today can be found in Origins of the Federal Judiciary, Essays on the Judiciary Act of 1789, edited by Maeva Marcus and published by Oxford University Press in 1992. You can also read Article 3 of the United States Constitution and the Judiciary Act of 1789 on the Library of Congress website. Thank you all for listening to me today, and come back next week when we will discuss the first docketed case on the Supreme Court, which was Van Straphurst v. Maryland, as well as the first recorded decision of the Supreme Court in West v. Barnes. All of the work and research done for this podcast is the sole property of myself, Aaron Larson, and shall not be downloaded or reproduced without my express written consent.